Today, we've got my good friend and Helium 10 user, Celis, who will bring us some insights into the pros and cons of an Amazon Vendor Central account, as well as killer nuggets on how to expand your brand reach. Oh, by the way, he works for a company you might have heard about, Lego. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. And we've got a big-time serious seller, one of the biggest we've had on the show. What's up, Silas? How's it going? It's going well, man. It's going well. Today, it's almost like Serious Vendor Podcast, huh? Yeah. Super excited to be here. Love it, love it. I've been hoping to get you on. You know, we met a little over a year ago now at the uh, Prosper Show. And I remember you coming up to me and, and basically saying that, you know, oh, yeah, you know, Helium 10 has helped us uh, to increase our sales by, uh, you know, nine figures or, or it was just something little small, small like that or something like that. I was like, oh, really? That's nice to know. You come from a company that is one of the most well-known companies in the world, something that I grew up with, Lego. And my whole life, I've been saying it wrong. I've always said, oh, I want to play with Legos or let's let's go buy some Legos. But as the last <laughs> TV show came out, they were very specific to really point out that it is never correct to use it in the plural form, right? That is that is 100% true. And our legal teams, they will come after us internally if we get that wrong. Uh, so okay. we're definitely with that ourselves. So yeah, I work for Lego and I sell Lego. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. No matter how many you sell, it's still just Lego. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So I wanted to bring you on the show just because I think it's very interesting. You know, sometimes people might just think that, hey, Amazon is, is great for a private label and, and smaller companies, but really Amazon is a very powerful force, you know, for, for corporations of any size, including some of the biggest in the world like Lego. But before we get into how Lego is using Helium 10 and, and how just selling on Amazon has affected Lego, I'd like to just get back into the Sela story, first of all, right? So obviously detect a little bit of an accent there. So I'm assuming you were not born and raised in America. So where, where do you come from? So I'm actually, so I'm born in, uh, in Copenhagen, Denmark, which is also the homeland of Lego, which a lot of people don't know. A lot of people that I talk with, they initially think that Lego is uh, is an American company, uh, which is super interesting. So I've I've been working in uh, in the old offices in Billund in Denmark, where the company was actually founded uh, when we were doing uh, wooden toys back in the days. So there's actually an office space where you're sitting uh, in the old founders' uh, old office, and you can actually book that as a meeting room. So I'm, oh wow, I'm that's super cool. Here, uh, but I've been here for a few years. Okay. Now, growing up in Denmark, did you always, you know, since that's a kind of the pride of Denmark there, Lego, like, did you actually grow up thinking, hey, maybe I, one day I'll work for Lego? Or, or what do you, what, what was your aspirations as a eight, nine, 10, 11 year old? It's a super good question. Um, I think there's like, there was two stories my mom told me. First of all, I think when I was very young, um, I wanted to be a garbage man because uh, I felt like streets. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Did you say you wanted to be a garbage man? <laughs> I don't know why, but I was very young and I was like, these streets are 
super ugly, but I love the people who are going around on the trucks and they get to like be on the trucks and jump off and make sure that the city looks nice. Because if you go to Copenhagen, it's a really, really wonderful city that's always clean. So that was the first thing, which was really weird. I don't know where that came from. Um, and then secondly, I wanted to be a soccer player. So uh, I used to be playing at a relatively competitive level uh, back when I was younger. Um, so I was sometimes practicing uh, multiple times a day. Uh, and that was like the, that was the goal for me uh, when I was younger. Before you got you know, to Lego, though, what was your major in, in university or, or what did you start studying? I, I don't think you were majoring in garbage science or, or something like that. No, I, I'm not even digital marketing. So um, I think my career path in my head when I was younger was that I was going to be a consultant. I think the, I was studying at business school. I was studying economics and project management. And I thought I was going to be a consultant working for a McKinsey or a Boston consulting group because that was what... That was what everyone else did. So I, I majored in economics and project management uh, from Copenhagen Business School um, back in the days. Cool, cool. How did you get your foot in the door and what did you start doing when you started working at Lego? <laughs> it's such a ran random story, but I was, um, I was doing a case competition. Uh, so we had those in Denmark where you go out and you can represent your university or you can just do it for fun. It sounds super nerdy to do that for fun. Uh, but we did that, and then uh, this was after I wrote my thesis, and I didn't know, and then Lego ended up being the case company. Um, and we ended up doing really well, uh, and I got some connection in HR, and I'm like, oh, now I'm set. I'm going to get the job. Um, and nothing really materialized. And then a few months later, my mom told one of her friends about it, and, and she was living in, in our streets back in Copenhagen. And then one of her, one of his friends, sorry, um, was starting up a new digital department in our creative agency uh, that was focusing on measuring impact of uh, online advertising campaigns, but also building websites and apps. So I started out as a digital analyst uh, within our analytics and data science department. Oh, okay. And then that was uh, there in Denmark still? That was in Denmark, yeah. This was in 2016. So then what, what brought you to, to the U.S. office then? Yeah, so I, I kind of always knew that I wanted to like venture into digital marketing. Um, and I was doing all these weird things. I was actually at some point selling garbage cans for like uh, companies. And ah, stuff you online. still kind of got to fulfill your, your childhood <laughs> dream there. Uh, and I was uh, like one of my uh, one of my friends, he was like doing a book and we sold that online. So it's like baffling around in that space, like always with my friends um, on the side. And I was doing like all these online courses, I was doing through something called Hyper Island. And then in 2018, one of my now really good friends, um, he came to Denmark, uh, he's called Nikolai, and he presented uh, some stuff about Amazon advertising and the fact that they had a maternity cover. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. I'm definitely down for that. So I went straight to my boss and I'm like, you gotta, you gotta send me to the US right now because I gotta, I gotta figure out what this Amazon thing is because it wasn't that big in Europe and especially not in Denmark, right? Because uh, we didn't have the exposure because we don't have Amazon. I knew it was something that was growing, but I had no idea about the magnitude of it. So, so that, was why, that was how I ended up in the U.S. And then so when you came to the U.S. is when you started working more closely with, with the departments that, that deal with Amazon. Yeah, 100%. So I very quickly um, was asked if I wanted to stay permanently, um, which I said yes to. Um, and this was when I started. So I am a big believer in front-loading learning uh, because it becomes a lot 
more fun down the road. And this was when I started reading all through all our internal stuff. Uh, I started to reach out to a few of my friends who work in agencies who have had some exposure to Amazon advertising. And then honestly, I started uh, listening to the AM PM podcast, uh, like front to back. Uh, I started reading blog posts. Um, I started to kind of like find people to be inspired by. Um, and that was, that was how I stumbled upon Helium 10 um, as part of like just looking through where to find inspiration and learn more about how Amazon and Amazon advertising works. Super cool. Super cool. Now, just in general, the way that, you know, Lego deals with Amazon is Lego is not like a third party seller, you know, where, where they're just using FBA, but it, they use what's called a vendor central. So can you, can you kind of explain the difference to the people out there who, you know, most of our users are, or listeners are familiar with seller central and, and the third party, you know, program, but how does it work? What's the difference basically between vendor central and seller central? So I think the short answer is that uh, we're selling products directly to Amazon. Um, but at the same time, and a lot of people, I don't think they really understand that we still manage like producing the content, uh, setting up the product detail pages. We also manage the advertising, but we maintain a retail relationship uh, together with Amazon. Um, and that's, that's the way the vendor setup uh, differs like in short. Okay. So you still actually decide what image is going to the listing. You decide what the title is going to be, what the, the content is going to be. And then you you pass that to Amazon and then they upload it to their site or you even you even do the uploading itself? We do everything. Yeah. So so end to end, um, we do everything. So it's in, in that way, it's it's very, very similar to being a seller. Uh, the only difference is like we are running ads through a different advertising platform, but they they are even like they're transitioning into being more or less the same. Often we get access to beta programs before a seller does it. Um, so often... I'll see my friends that are sellers have access to features roughly like half a year later or something like that. Um, so that's normally, that's one of the perks of being a vendor that we are, we're very, we're working very closely together with uh, the Amazon advertising team uh, based out of Seattle. Um, and we have uh, monthly uh, meetings with them and yearly meetings where we actually meet in New York or in Seattle uh, to talk through the roadmap and give uh, feedback on some of the beta programs that they are they're baffling around with. So then what don't you have control over then as a, a vendor, as opposed to a seller? Like, are you able to just change the retail price whenever you want or, or, or change the listing whenever you want or, or no, what? that's the thing we don't have access to, uh, for the listing itself, we have full control, um, for price we don't. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Now, what else, as far as in your experience, since, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit later, you actually do have experience on the third-party seller side, you know, Seller Central, but what are the pros and cons? Because you don't have to be a Lego, you know, a billion-dollar company in order to to make Vendor Central work. You know, th there are third-party sellers who go through the vendor program, but in your opinion, what are the advantages and, and disadvantages of why somebody would want Vendor Central over Seller Central or vice versa? I think, of course, like the seller program, because you're, you're filling, filling in inventory yourself, right? You have a little bit more flexibility there. We have to maintain a relationship with Amazon. But there's both pros and cons to that. So in, in that way, I think that's the only aspect that like truly differs. Uh, besides that, as everything is getting a lot more self-serve, uh, also on the vendor front, we have, a, we have all the same things available as you have as a seller, right? The only difference is we just have a, we have a vendor relationship as we have with Walmart and Target and so on, um, with Amazon. Um, so, so in that way, it doesn't differ a lot. Okay. So then PPC, 
as far as like bids and things like that, that's something that you have complete control over then. Yeah. So, so if we take like a step back on like uh, how it all started was um, the first thing that I, I realized when I, when I got over here was, and of course, like it's, you're looking at the foundations, right? You're looking at what are the keywords you're tiding? What are the ASINs you're tiding for ASIN tiding? How's your campaign structure built? Um, are you tracking uh, paid and organic search? And this was when I stumbled upon Helium 10, the tool in itself, right? Because it was actually the first tool where we started to track organic rankings, right? Um, so that was a huge win for us, I would say, starting to look into the relationship between paid and organic. And it's one of the things that I find super fascinating. Uh, I was listening to one of your pod- podcasts actually yesterday when I was out surfing and on my way back uh, about, I think it was a hemp roll-on you were doing. So you're oh, t- yes. uh-huh. at, a, at a smaller scale, right? But it's the exact same questions we're, we're posing in, in, internally, right? In a bigger company. We're just doing it at a massively different scale, right? So, so in that way, a lot of the things that we are working towards are very similar, right? So the same comes with PPC, like everything is managed internally, right? So in that way, it doesn't differ as much. Yes, maybe we get access to sponsor brand ad videos or offsite retiring or other features like ASIN tiling for sponsor brand ads quicker than you do. But a lot of the things that we have access to are similar, right? So the only difference is how we scale up strategies that sellers are doing, right? Uh, and often we have, of course, a lot more data and we're spending a lot more dollars at advertising, right? Just due to the simple size of our company versus being a seller, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, speaking about that, obviously, Lego is one of the most known four-letter words in, in the entire you know English language. And, and everybody, even if they've never bought any before, knows what it is. Now, how do you feel the strategy of a company selling on Amazon is different when it's a company with such a huge brand awareness as opposed to maybe a private label seller who's just starting out? Yeah, this one is a fun one, right? Because it's it's kind of like you, you're playing Counter-Strike and you have like cheat codes on or something like that. And no matter where you aim, it's it's going to work. Like that's of course not entirely true, right? But there's definitely something about when you have the brand recognition that you have as Lego, right? You can scale your advertising to a much larger degree because even if you're going after things where there would be a little bit more obscure, you still have the brand recognition, right? Which means that you naturally have a tendency to have higher conversion rates, right? And we all know that the way you're bidding when you're running PPC is a function of your average order value, your CPC, and then your your conversion rates, right? So in, in that way, like working for a brand that's as well-known as, well as Lego, right? It's, it's paramount. There's also, of course, the keywords that I don't want to go for, right? Because it simply doesn't resonate with the brain, right? So we also got to stick through to the brain and protect the brain. Because by the end of the day, it's the brain and the products that are, that are the gold, right, of, of Lego. It, it really is, right? But it also does pose some other complexities that you don't have as a, as a seller necessarily. Um, you have a rotating product line, which means that we don't have a product that just sticks around for like 20 years, right? Or 10 years even. So that means that you're constantly changing out, which means that you also constantly have to change out the products that you advertise, right? So, so that's, one of the, that's one of the complexities of being a vendor. And then it's also, of course, there's, there's, a, there's a total upside 
to having as strong as a brand of Lego, right? And it's, it's sometimes it annoys me a little bit because it, it's I also wanna I also wanna figure out how hard it is to be a seller, right? Because uh, I, I totally acknowledge that that there's a big difference there, right? So that's also why I sometimes help some friends out um, running ads um, through Seller Central because I want to see it from their perspective too, right? Um, so of course it's a huge upside, and it's also it's in my opinion one of the best brands in the world to to sell, right? Um, it's been a lot of it's been super cool to see the the search and volume that has been for Lego product, for example, during the coronavirus. Uh, situation we're we're finding ourselves in right now because it's you're fulfilling a real need right people at home they're stuck the kids are bored they need toys that are educational take where the play experience is more a little bit more immersive right i know you're a big lego nerd yourself right but yep it's it's nice to be able to sell a product that you really believe in right and i I think you get that with lego yeah absolutely now, I, I think there might be the perception out there. I mean, at least for me, this is how I always figured. Like when it's big brand names like your yourself or let's just say Nike or Yeezy or something like that, that almost all sales, in my you know layman's opinion, come from branded searches, you know, like Lego <laughs> keywords or something. But I'm sure you have better insight into that where are you making sales off of keywords that, that don't have Lego in it? I totally disagree with that. <laughs> I know that that's that's why I figured you would. That's just what I would assume, but I have a feeling that it's not that. That's why I'm asking. Yep. A hundred percent. I think if you if you look at my LinkedIn and stuff like that, I'll be pretty vocal about um the incrementality of buying up your own brain terms. I think Lego is also a we're in a different level, right? We have so much brain recognition and like the straight up competitors are not as strong, right? As let's say you're selling like iPhone covers or something like that or yoga mat, uh, there might be some really good uh, substitutes, right? So I call that, like, a, it's an internal thing that I'm, I've just named it, but like the substitution effect, right? So based on how likely a shopper is to substitute to another brand, um, that's when you should do brand protection or not. Um, and coming back to your question, is the majority of our sales coming from uh, branded terms? Uh, no. Oh, it's not even the majority? I mean, I almost would have thought it would have been almost all, but so like you're saying that you obviously see then some things were like puzzles or, or things to do at home with kids or something like that, where, where you could see sales from words that have nothing to do necessarily with Lego. Yeah. It's, it's a cross thing, right? It's, it's, that's marketing, right? You're trying to go for an audience that doesn't necessarily know you, right? You don't want your new to brand metric in your sponsor brain ads to be like 1%, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it it ties into like the corporate goals too of Lego, right? We wanna we wanna reach kids and also adults um, that are not necessarily thinking about Lego, right? That's that's what you wanna do. You wanna you wanna push that brand awareness because I think we have some really really cool products and we have some really awesome product lines also for adults that people are not necessarily aware of, to be honest. Um, so some of the cool stuff we're doing uh, that's really pushing that awareness, right, for the brand. So. So that I think that's my my answer to that question is like I, I don't agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I think that's great. I mean, I had a feeling that that would be the answer, but I thought that maybe steel was the the majority. But it kind of leads me into my next question, which is, you know, for a private label seller or even a big company, uh, like let's say you are what, what's some like big vacuum company like Dirt Devil or something mm-hmm. like that, right? You know, 
there are probably a good 20 companies that that make similar vacuums as them. Yeah. So it's easier to kind of like identify the the competitors and, and see, you know, what keywords are they ranking for and and you know, what are they advertising for? But how does it work for such a unique company like Lego? It's not like there's 10 other companies who who all make collectible bricks. I mean, there's like that that one, I don't even know the name of it that I use for my Star Trek Enterprise, you know? Like I don't even remember, but but they're so they're such a no-name company that I literally don't even know the name of it. But you guys are kind of like the only show for like your niche. So like how do you determine who are your competitors that you're competing for some of these generic keywords for? I think it's such an interesting one. Um I don't I don't see necessarily keywords as keywords. I see them as audiences and real people, to be honest, sitting out there. Uh, meaning that if if you have a portfolio where you have big IPs, uh, we're launching Super Mario right now. We have Harry Potter. We have Star Wars, right? That means that you don't necessarily need to just go for the audience who are interested in bricks, right? Um, so that's yep. the perception that I have when I'm thinking about um, search, right? Is that I don't see it necessarily as being keywords are seeing it as being humans sitting out there with a need that I feel like our products can fulfill, right? So that's the whole, that's the methodology. And that's kind of like the mindset about how to run ads. I love that. So it's like what you're doing is you're focusing more on the customer avatar. And then you're thinking about the needs of that customer avatar. And then where it goes back to the keywords is, well, maybe what kind of keywords is this customer avatar searching for that Lego actually feels feels a need, such as, you know, things to do at home during coronavirus or, or something like that, where where but you're kind of reverse engineering the process. Yeah, exactly. And that's how that's how I think about it when just in general when I work with advertising. Like another example is like I'm helping a company out that's selling like dive cameras, right? I'm I'm hugely into diving. I love diving. Uh I have advanced certificate. I just I just the best thing is being underwater and then I just put myself into the mindset of me as a diver, right? What are the things that I potentially would buy on Amazon, right? I might buy a lockbook. I might buy, if I'm a super nerd, I will buy a new compressor. I might buy a new fin cell, a mask or something like that. And that means that out of a sudden, my, what I call like the keyword space, it just expands exponentially, right? So I'm, fe- I'm not thinking about my product first. I'm thinking about the people out there that I want to sell a product to, right? Um, so that's just a, that's just the methodology of how I think about it, to be honest. And how we I love it I love within it. my team. Now, going back to when you first started discovering Helium Ten, I remember you had said it was like a video or something, like a random video that we had done. I don't remember if it was Ace and Grabber or something, but yeah. you basically said this one video kind of like revolutionized something that you did at Lego, and because of it, you know, you were able to generate ridiculous amounts of sales just by using some kind of strategy. What was that video and you know, you know, obviously you're not giving away your company no. secrets here, but <laughs> but what was, how did it change the way you guys, you know, did your research or, or implemented? It was related to Ace and Tiny. Um, and it was really about, because you, you guys, when you're working as a seller, right, you're super granular. Like you go in and you look for, let's say you're looking for products that have less than X reviews, because you know that it's less than the average of the reviews that you have. and Potentially, they are out of stock, and there was like a lot of different parameters for like how you were choosing products, right, to advertise on. And I was like, "Wow, that's like super nerdy and like super granular." I want to do the same, right? But if I have to sit and do that across a rotating portfolio of five hundred products, right, 
I was like, how the hell do I take the strategy here, which is super cool, and then find a way to take that and then scale it, right? So, so literally what we did there was we used, we used a lot of the same principles, and then we just found a way to massively scale and replicate that in an automated manner across all our products, right? So I was thinking a lot about this and I was leading, I was listening the other day to an internal like leadership podcast with our CEO. And he says that like his purpose is uh, discover winning algorithms and then ignite the courage to pursue. And I love that quote because it's literally, that's what, that's what I enjoy doing with advertising. It's like find something that works. In this case, it was ace and tidy and ace and grabbing. And then you got to just go for it and figure out how to scale it, right? Because we can't sit and do that for every single product. I do enjoy it. Like I, getting in there, looking at one product, like and really get like surgical is super cool. You just that you can't necessarily do that when you're working with a big brain. So you've got to learn from other people and then modify it to your circumstances, right? If that makes sense. But that that video was like, yeah. ah, they just there was something about the way you were thinking about it. Um, I think that's an important point too because. Sometimes we're just like, we have, of course, so many Helium 10 users out there, but they all, many have the similar favorite tool as at me, which is, you know, Cerebro and, or Blackbox or, or Magnet or things like that. But, you know, we've got over 25 tools and, and I would venture to say that maybe more than 95% of our users don't use some of the lesser known tools as much like, like Async Grabber. But there is something that guys, if you guys are Helium 10 users, don't you know, there's a reason we made every single one of our tools. And that's because, you know, customers wanted this kind of functionality. But if, you know, billion dollar company can find use in Async Grabber, I'm pretty sure you guys can too. So make sure to go check out that that video when you can to see what inspired Silas there to, to do stuff. Now, let, let's switch gears a little bit outside of, of just like, a, you know, Helium 10 and your actual Amazon strategy. But I think something that you guys probably scaled a lot more, but is still very applicable to the random you know, Amazon seller is how off Amazon campaigns can directly impact, you know, your sales. And in this case, I'm thinking specifically of the show Lego masters, yeah. which was like in my household must see TV every, uh, I believe it was Wednesday night when it was on, it was like, that's like the greatest new TV show in a while. But I have a strong feeling that you guys could see a direct correlation to increases in sales from when that show started getting popular. Would that be an accurate assessment? Yeah, it, it is, but it, it's also, it was like a perfect storm, right? You have like uh, coronavirus where a lot of people are staying at home. Then you have Lego Masters too, right? And it all kind of like jumbles in together in like this perfect storm where you, of course, like sales are increasing, your conversion rates are going up. It's kind of the tricky part and sometimes frustrating part about being in a big company. It's I used to work with like data science for a few years at Lego. It's like, I, I hated it and I love it now, uh, but it's because it's just so fundamentally important for the way that we look at things. But the frustrating thing some, sometimes in big companies is to isolate impact when there's so many things going on, right? Because Lego have brand campaigns, we have theme campaigns, we're doing things out of home, we have Lego masters, you have now a coronavirus, like it just changes up the dynamics, right? of everything, right? And isolating that down to like, it was this episode of Lego Masters, it's like, this was the tipping point. There's no doubt about having something like that going on, just lifting up the overall like propensity to buy is awesome, right? And that's also, that's the fun part, right? You gotta do pattern recognition. You gotta realize 
that all the things that are happening outside of your advertising account, right? That's that's why I think I really enjoy being in a, that's a nice thing about being in a corporate environment is that you got to do a lot of pattern recognition and connecting the dots between all the advertising you're doing as a brand, right? You can't yeah. look only in your Amazon advertising account. You really, you got to elevate yourself, which sometimes can be difficult when you're just like in your PPC account and you're just like doing the thing, right? But you got to, acknowledge that for big companies you're you're part of a big a bigger puzzle right yeah now, now one of the things i'm not sure if you you know you even know this or if this is true or not but one of the things i imagine like if i was imagining you guys kind of you know ideating obviously it's not your department but whoever decided to make that show was you know what's a way that we can expand to show people that hey it's cool for adults to be able to to use lego and so I think that might be, you know, one of the side effects is that mm. for a lot of people, it's like, oh, no, you know, once you get to be 15, 16, you know, well, you don't need to do Lego. But I think that show really, really helped transform people's perception of this is not just a toy, but people of all ages can do it. And if that was your strategy, great. But even if it wasn't your strategy, I think you're going to probably see that as a side effect of more adults because of this using Lego. And, and in turn, I think that this is something that's important for for sellers out there amazon sellers is like you know don't get so niche down where where you're limiting your target audience for your product like if you notice that maybe only women use your product well maybe you should do some kind of marketing campaign to show hey it's okay for guys to use this product look how much fun guys have with this product do you, do you agree with that kind of strategy 100% i think this is honestly a critical insight uh, is that you can't let your own perceptions guide the way that you run ads and just in general how you position your product. That's simply not, it's not okay. You got to have an open mindset and be open to test things. You're, you're sitting with the best testing machine with millions of users that go on Amazon every day. You have the data that you need. So I think, and honestly, PPC is great for that. It's super easy to test, of course, if you're going for another segment and your creatives are not 100% aligned with it, it might not lead to the results that you were expecting. But if you see something interesting, you can test it in a matter of days, right? And if you then get like, okay, there's something interesting here, then you should hunt it down, right? And then you can start fooling around with your creative, um, maybe changing your videos a little bit if you have videos. And it's the same for us, right? Like we, And that's the, com the complex things about having such a wide portfolio is that you got to treat your products differently, right? Um, and that's one of the things that we're learning a lot about, especially now, is simply how strong Lego can be with adults. And I think we are, yeah. we could fulfill a, an important, I wouldn't call it a niche because the niche is pretty big, um, but there's an important need, I would say, we could fulfill in terms of honestly spending time. I know you're building with, with, your, with your family and with your son, like that father-son or mother-daughter relationship, we can kind of ignite that by bringing the passion back with adults. And it's, it's just awesome to watch then how out of, a, out of a sudden, adults ends up becoming advocates, right? And that could be, because they are the gatekeeper often, right, for making a decision what to buy, right? So igniting that passion there then has impact on other parts of our portfolio, right? Um, which is exactly also what you're seeing with the Lego Master Show, right? So it comes back to like, don't limit yourself, be open, and then really just test things out. 
and let data guide your decisions. I think that's that one is super important. Uh, don't think you know it all because you don't. Yeah, I love that. I mean, for for many people, regardless of how big or small of an Amazon seller or just an e-commerce in general, is to to take you know what Sila said and what Lego has been doing to really to heart because when you limit yourself and, and your audience in your own mind, you're limiting your your scalability of your business. So so think bigger and and see how how you can solve problems, you know, outside of who you thought your regular customer avatar is. Because I would say that, you know, before that show, most people, you know, who grew up with Lego maybe have had the perception, oh yeah, this is only for for kids. But now the perception has completely changed for anybody who watched that show. And I think that's super important. Now, speaking of the show, if I ever visit you there at Lego headquarters, will you be able to introduce me to Brickmaster Amy and Jamie? We would have to go to Billon then, but if we're ever doing something in Billon, I will make sure that you can go up and we will see if we can get you that red badge so you can actually go in where the designers work, which is the coolest place ever. They have like unlimited access to bricks and minifigures and you can just see them hang out by these in these creative spaces and they're just building all day. Cool. Is Amy's accent as cool as it is on the TV show in real life? 100%. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Now, let's just switch gears a little bit. I, I alluded it to it earlier, but you actually do have some experience, you know, with Seller Central helping, you know, friends sell things. And, and I believe you're, you're starting your own company on there. How's that journey been? Like, is it difficult making that switch to see how things work on the Seller Central side when you're so used to the Vendor Central side? Or has it been a pretty easy transition for you or what? So this, that's definitely an interesting one. Uh, I think I've always had like this eagerness to do things on the side. It's not like this is going to be like a compromise on my regular job, but it's, it's honestly, I see it as hobbies, to be honest, and it keeps me sharp. So working with, for example, smaller brains and sellers, it kind of teaches me some of the hurdles that they have to go through. Like I often don't, I wouldn't say I don't appreciate, but often you don't understand, for example, all the effort that goes into the creative process of creating the images, shooting video, making a plus content and all that stuff. I have like, I would say, because I've used to do websites and apps, I kind of understand it. But the reason why I wanted to lean more into the seller side was honestly understand like the hurdles that a, a seller goes through, right? So it's honestly been a lot of fun um, and I'm continuing to do it on the side. And it's kind of like to understand how people are doing it at a smaller scale, you really appreciate in some instances, how easy, sometimes difficult it can be to work for a big brand, right? Yeah, so it's definitely something I'll continue to do because uh, I find a lot of fun fun in it. Um, right now, I'm with one of my friends. We're launching a swimwear brand. And honestly, it's it's a little bit scary. Um, I was thinking about it today, like now you're putting yourself on the line, right? Um, and I failed like multiple times in my life. And in, I think when I was younger, I saw that as failure, but it's also the reason why I'm now sitting at the age of 28 and I get to do like search across all of America's and I get to like work with how we build out all our advertising campaigns in Europe and how we do it in Mexico and stuff like that. So it's been part of the journey. So for me, selling on Amazon is, it's just another, it's just a means of like doing education. So it's like, instead of doing online courses, I just want to do it in real life because that's where I see the most value. Um, it might, you might fail, you might not, but it's, it's the best form of education you can get. Right. Um, very similar to like what you're doing with project X, right. You got to put yourself out there and then have fun with it and just realize that yeah. it's a lot. It's like, it's a long 
time, long life journey, right? And I'm always just hungry to like learn new things. So to me, this is just, it's just another, it's just another thing that I'm doing on the side. And then maybe some weekends I'm going to work instead of going out and getting super hammered, right? But I'm having fun while doing it. Like I'm, I'm, as I get older, I realized I'm, I'm running a marathon, right? I'm not running a sprint. I think when I was younger, I was like, everything just has to be like, 24 seven work all the time. Like you sometimes make jokes that it looks like I'm on like vacation all the time, but I'm trying to balance it out and just have fun with it. And then once I work, I do it very efficiently instead of like being always on. Right. I just, once I go in and I do it, I just find the time to do it. And then I have a lot of fun with it. Right. Cause then it doesn't feel like work. Um, to me, it's just like having hobbies to be honest. That's cool. Now I'm excited to see, you know, maybe, you know, we usually have guests on once per year. So maybe by next year, we'll be able to talk about how your, your swimwear, swimwear brand uh, is doing. That'll be pretty cool. Now, before we get into your, your 30 second tip, you know, for us with some kind of strategy, let's go ahead and play the search volume game. Oh, right? no. <laughs> I tried to listen to a few podcasts so that when this came up, I was yep. kind of like, Uh-oh. <laughs> now, you probably could figure out what I was going to do, but of course, as always, sometimes I put tricks in this. But let's see, you're going to be on the spot here. I'm going to give you three Lego related keywords and three search volumes. Now I know you use a Helium 10, so don't be having it open right there. But here we go. The three keywords are, let me see, what should I give it to you? I'm going to give it to you from shortest to longest. The first one is Lego friends. All right. The second one is Lego architecture. And the longest keyword here is Star Wars Lego sets. Now the three search volumes from least to most, the one that is searched for the least is about 44,000 times a month. The one that is searched for in the middle is about 80,000 times a month. And the one of these three keywords that is searched for the most is searched for about 160,000 times a month. <laughs> so which one is which? Lego friends, Lego architecture, Star Wars Lego sets. Okay. Most popular is Star Wars Lego sets. Number two is Lego friends. And number three is Lego architecture. All right. I, I was able to trick you. Shit. Okay. So you actually got one of these right. But I, I knew I was going to trick you because I was like, this is going to be too easy if I just give you the easy ones. But the number one Lego related keyword actually is Star Wars related, but it's different than the way I said it. So the number one Lego related keyword, I believe, is Lego Star Wars, which is searched for 350,000 <laughs> times a month. But the people who use Star Wars Lego sets and type it out that way is almost one tenth. So this is why I do these things, because I'm like, hey, we never eat. No matter how much of an expert we are, we don't rely on our own, you know, knowledge. We always try and let the data show what to do. The one that surprised me was Lego architecture. Actually, you know, that was lower, but it's actually 80,000. Yeah. That's kind of like a side effect of your, your television show because Lego architecture, I don't think is really that much for kids. It's probably a lot of adults into that. And then Lego friends was 166,000. So there we go. Let's move on to our, which is the TST 30 second tip. So this could be about, you know, something about advertising. It could be about something you've discovered as you're helping your friends with seller central. It could be about how you use helium 10. It could be about marketing. It could be about garbage science. I mean, whatever you want, what is your 30 second tip for our sellers out there today? Yeah. So I, I know if you're an entrepreneur, which sellers are, 
uh, it can be super complicated and you probably have a thousand different ideas that you're baffling around with in your head. Um, I think my number one recommendation or tip related to that is honestly find a few things that work and do them really well. So you might have this notion that you need to test out like a hundred things every month. Don't do that. Like find a few things if it's through PPC or through your creative or something you're doing offsite through social or something like that. If you see something that's working, double down on that and then make that a key part of your toolbox and just go for it and just really refine that and figure out how you can use that and scale that in creative ways. Um, I think it, it comes comes back to like, it, it can be complicated, but you, you got to simplify it and find a few things that work. And then those become growth engines, right? Because that's by the end of the day, that's what you're looking for, right? It's something that consistently delivers. I love it. Thank you very much for that. Now, just real, really quickly before you go, one last question is sometimes I, you know, I haven't visited your, your offices yet. I know hopefully, you know, once coronavirus ends, I could do that. But sometimes I, I just try and think in my mind how people are using Helium 10 over there at Lego headquarters. It just baffles my mind. Now, is it just you who's using it? Or do you actually have like a team of people who are, who are using Helium 10 and watching the videos and stuff like that? Yeah, so I'd say we, uh, we're using it a lot. Here in America, uh, especially now that um, I have to manage um, I have to manage Amazon across all of America, and we're also managing uh, Walmart and, and Target, right? So, and for a lot of those retailers, we don't have the same level of data, right? So, we can use a tool like Helium 10 to project out what potentially those volumes would be if the behavior was the same and the volume was the same on other retailers. And then, of course, I'm also using it uh, with some of the teams in Europe, too, because Helium 10 works there, too. Um, so this summer, I'll be going to Europe uh, to work a little bit on how we run ads and structure campaigns and accounts. And of course, Helium 10 is going to be a, a tool that we uh, we use there, too. I've also been using Helium 10 in like internal uh, PPC competitions. Uh, that we've been doing in on some of our global ecom uh, gatherings, or what you call that, um, where we actually used Helium 10 to find keywords and ASIN targets and so on. And then the teams were divided and then they were competing against each other to see who could build the best campaigns. That's so cool. I mean, I it's just kind of like surreal to me. Now I remember just as you were saying that, that you had even told me like the once there was maybe a higher level meeting at Lego, you know, even outside your department and 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 Helium 10 was mentioned that it just, it's just kind of surreal, you know, being such a Lego nerd <laughs> and then now knowing that somehow Lego is using our trainings and different things is just like, that's the, the coolest feeling in the world. So Silas, thank you so much for joining us on the program today and taking your time out. I really appreciate it. And so cool to have you share your experiences and your knowledge with us. And, and I definitely took away some golden nuggets there. So we'll definitely be in touch and look forward to maybe next year, having you back on the show, seeing what, what Lego has done since now and and also maybe some of your other side projects too. 100%. I'm just glad that I could finally provide some hopefully value back. Um, and I just want to say like big thank you to you and like all the guys who have kind of honestly taught me in a very short amount of time all the things that I've, I've learned over the past two or three years related to, uh, related to Amazon and PPC. Thank you so much, Silas. We'll see you later. Quick note, guys, don't forget that regardless where you are listening to this podcast, whether it's on your iPhone or on Stitcher or on Spotify, that you hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified every time we drop a new episode.